There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learnt to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! Boom. G'day, Trent. G'day, Bram. How are you, mate? I'm good. What's going on? We are going to talk to Mark Matthews, the big wave surfer. This is going to be frigging epic. epic. Oh, wow. Just jumped in there. It's going to be epic. Have you seen his videos? Have you seen YouTube? Here we go. Are you taking Uh, over the podcast? You've, okay, you had the Steve uh, Marshall on and now you're taking over the Warrior You podcast. I've I've got a rush on. I've got a run on now. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, today on the Warrior You podcast, I'm joined by Trent and <laughs> and we're joined by the awesome big wave surfing legend, Mark Matthews. So seeing how naturally he takes to the water, Trent, it's hard to believe that he was once afraid of the ocean. Did you know that? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah. I did. And he'd that's, spend uh, that's family amazing, trips. It? it is. He'd spend family trips at home in the seaside, sitting on the beach watching the waves and not going out in the water. And today he's uh, arguably one of the world's best, well, he is the leading big wave surfer. He's a Red Bull athlete and the winner of three back to back Oakley Big Wave Awards. No big deal. Um, what have you done lately? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> Feeling pretty inadequate. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah, I once saw my kids and my dog swim out in waves big enough where I was like, Ooh, sharks, waves, no. Yeah, he's come across a few obstacles in his way, which is why we're going to talk to him today around resilience. He had this massive wipeout while surfing on the New South Wales coast in 2016, and he landed feet first onto a shallow reef. Mate, did you hear what he did to himself? He broke himself royally, I think. <laughs> Mate, I don't... I don't even know how we're going to ask him this without, you know, triggering him. He fractured his shin, snapped his anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments and teared an artery and nerve. Oh, you, mean, God. you mean tore an artery and nerve? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Mark Matthews, thanks for coming on the podcast. Where does the podcast find you today? I am at home in, uh, on Coolangar- in Coolangatta. Okay, Coolangatta. I'm in my little uh, makeshift home studio. Well, it was, but I just took everything down because my family arrived for the Easter holidays, finally made it up here after three attempts. Now the borders mm. 
we're all open again. So shut everything down. That's why I'm uh, now sitting down on the ground here and uh, doing this podcast with a little half half studio set up. So you're in Coolangatta. The family's there. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Are you? So you permanently based there, Mark? Yeah, I've been up here for about three years now. After I okay. got my bad injury, um, I left Sydney uh, for warmer waters, better, yeah, right. better sort of beginner surfing waves because I had to start all over again and uh, wow. well, never left and loved it. Wish I moved up here 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, let's get to that in a bit. So when did you discover your, your love for surfing, I guess, straight off the bat? Oh, man, so long ago. I, I reckon around sort of eight, nine years old. Is, is I think around the time when I got my first surfboard. My dad surfed um, and then he, he became a doctor and a surgeon and then kind of didn't have time to surf but then uh, picked it back up when I learned to surf, like to teach me and then he started surfing again. And um, yeah, and then I, I, I can remember being terrified of the ocean when I was little, like out of my friendship group of when we were young we used to go camping on family Christmas holidays and, and we'd go down to the beach to surf, I was always the scared kid who wouldn't go out if the waves were sort of not even big, like, but all the other kids would go and I was the, the really scared kid. So um, it's strange to end up and I always run into those same kids and they're just like, I can't believe you do what you do after you being such a wuss growing up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Why transition then into big wave surfing in and not just like stick on the pro tour where it's like you know, arguably really soft. <laughs> oh, I can imagine Kelly Slater's listening to this. Um, I wasn't good enough to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I just I um I did do the competition circuit for a little bit, but I was never really a naturally gifted or talented surfer, and um and I was kind of average at, in the competition field at best. And I just saw an opening. Um, uh, where you could forge a career within the sport of surfing by basically surfing waves that no one else wanted to surf. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> that, that was just, it was just like, okay, I've got one big problem with this is that I'm terrified of big waves. And, but, uh, <laughs> but I really didn't want to go and work and I really wanted to be a professional surfer and that kind of outweighed the fear of, of big waves. So I, I just figured yeah. it out. <laughs> and that was your sole motivation? Basically, at that time, it's it shifted wow. like throughout over the years. But originally, uh, when I was probably like 16, 17 years old or yeah, like 18 when I was just leaving school, mate, I wanted what every teenager wanted. I wanted a cool car and a hot girlfriend. And uh, that were, they were my motivators. The only way I could see myself doing that was through surfing. And it was like the only way I could do it in surfing was surf big waves that no one else wanted to surf. So This uh, is like that was it. It's like This is like listening to Daniel Ricciardo going – you know what? I was in Formula One. I was really good, but I wasn't good enough. So I started doing smash up derbies. <laughs> That's probably what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're never getting him on the podcast, are we, Trent? Yeah. Oh, we have a crack. Have What's a crack. it? Well, so let's let's have a think about this for a second. Let me, uh, you know, I mean, I've tried surfing. I suck at it. Um, you you tried it. You were good at it. But the people who are really good at it, it's like. I guess it's like everything. We don't realize how great some people are at things until we start to start to gravitate or work in and around them. Yeah, you so, can see it at a really young age. Now, yeah. Even now when, you, when I watch up-and-coming kids, you can see this extra level of talent that they have at a specific sport within, before they're 10 years old. Like mm -hmm. you just see their ability to pick things up really quickly and – 
and there's a lot of there's a few other factors that go into it the sort of their, their diligence and hard working and how much they want to win at something is is definitely going to push them a long way but if you don't have that that sort of talent ability level young you you could still make it but it's going to be a whole lot harder than for those sort of freakishly talented kids and and not to say that those talented kids don't have to put the work in but yeah, there's a huge gap, and and in surfing, like most sports, there's there's a, especially like that action sports realm. There's only a handful of uh, surfers that can make a living out of it comfortably, and um, yeah, I wasn't one of those those sort of ten people who are freakishly talented within Australian yeah. surfing. So, Mark, you're saying that uh, you you recognise that talent in those sort of you know ten year old kids in whatever sport they're they're involved in with your sort of fear of waves at around I'm assuming around that age how long was it before you got into big wave surfing were you were you an adult or were you a teenager like you know when did you start to try and acquire these these big wave skills oh the big changing moment for me was I had left school and I was working in a bar in, in Circular Quay making cocktails and coffees in the morning and that was kind of my career and I was like I've either got to go and study further and get a proper job or, or, you know, like give away this surfing or, right. you know, like it, it's kind of time up for me after that. And um, I just out of the blue at that point in time, I wasn't really making a living out of surfing. But out of the blue, I got a call from a, an editor of Track Surfing magazine. And he invited me on a, a sort of photo shoot for the magazine. And um, the first time I'd ever been invited on a surf trip. And I was like, I, I was... Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why this guy was calling me for the surf trip, because like I was a relative no one within the sport of surfing at that point in time. I found out later that he'd invited about forty other surfers on this trip uh, before he got to my name at the bottom of the list, and everyone wow. had declined <laughs> because where they were inviting to uh, everyone to was the bottom of Tasmania to surf this oh, sort of mythical wave. That, that rumors had been spreading around the surf industry about this huge monster that <laughs> broke off the ta- bottom of Tasmania. And I was just like, I wasn't in the position to say no. It was like, this was my one shot to get a career. It was like, if you're going to say no to this, you're done. Yeah. So, uh, I said yes. I ended up down in Tasmania. And there are a handful of factors going on at that point in my life that just made me extra motivated to push myself. One one big thing was that I was um I was actually living with my mum at that time, like we were sharing an apartment after my parents split, and she um she'd actually become really sick the sort of month leading up to that trip, and she hadn't been able to get out of bed, and uh, and work or anything, and it was just mm. in the back of my head, it was like okay, I'm gonna have to take care of her now too, so it was like this extra motivation on top of it, and then when I went down to surf. I was terrified, but that that motivation just kind of pushed me over the edge. And it took, I'd say, one one big wave, like a really big wave that I caught, the first one that I wiped out on. And then I came up, like without a scratch on me, after this huge wipeout. And I was like, hold on a minute. It's like, this is as bad second. as it looks. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. I went on to ride a handful of waves that day. And, um, best feeling i'd ever experienced wow and on the top of that the photos and the footage went out into the surf industry Mm. all over the world and i got my first surfing sponsorship off the back of that and it was like i signed this three-year contract which was basically saying you don't have to work anymore for the next three years you got to go out and you're a professional surfer now 
the caveat of the contract was I had to go and find more waves like the one down in Shipstones Bluff, terrifying waves, surf those waves, get content, goes out in the media, and then the sponsors keep coming. So I, I just realized after that, that was my career path from that point Trent, on. Trent, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm in, mate. I'm all in. Let's do this. I'll take you down Go. to the next well. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was looking at you going, uh, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll do some things, but, uh, yeah. you know, kudos to you, Mark, because um, that, really is, that really is sort of just jumping in feet first, so to speak, and, uh, and just giving it a red-hot crack and taking that opportunity when it comes your way. And, and, you know, it's one of those sliding doors moments in your life, I'm sure. You could be sitting in an office job uh, or, uh, you know, Chasing big waves. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's an amazing the other story. Thing that made a big difference was the company that I was in on that trip, and I didn't realize when I went down there. Uh, one of the surfers that was with me is Kieran Perro, who was at the time I, I had no idea, but he was one of the sort of better big wave surfers within the industry. And but I didn't know that. I thought he was just this average, like good surfer. And and he comes across quite dorky, Kieran. He's like he got like ninety nine point eight in his HSE back then. Like he, he's super smart. And and I remember we we turned up to the hotel, unpacked all that stuff, and he had like all his stuff like pretty much in alphabetical order, just laid out. And I think I was just like, man, who doesn't everyone dorky kid? But then when we we're out in the water, <laughs> he just started taking off on these monster waves, and I was like, whoa, if he can do it. You know, I better be keeping up with him. So the, it was kind of like being around someone else that pushed me, like to, to take that step over the line. And I think that was a, that was a huge part of it as well. I love what you said around motivation too, and mm. getting over fears through motivation. You know, motivations, not self motivation, because that's something different. But it's, I think it's sort of analogously the same as. A guy who wants to go to SAS um, or Second Commando Regiment or First Commando Regiment, for that matter, and you've got to do the parachute, you know, course. And the thing is, you're standing on the back ramp of an aircraft you've never jumped off before, but the fear of not reaching your goal outweighs the fear of what it's going to be not knowing whether the parachute will open or not, which, which invariably knowledge dispels fear. The thing is going to open, and like you said, you know, the you, well, in fact. What you're talking about is worse because there's not that many people that have actually done it. And I would say the controls with parachuting are really, really tight, actually. Whereas if you fall off a big wave, you probably, how far are you falling before you hit the water? It must be 50, 60 feet. Yeah, no. it depends on the, the places. The biggest waves in the world, it's kind of, yeah, it gets up to sort of 30, 40 feet, maybe 50 feet, the bigger one. You're wow. traveling so fast and you hit the water and you would know from the, from the training that you've done, you hit that water, it feels like concrete. So it yeah. pops all the wind out of you and then you're getting rolled around underwater. But Yeah, I can't imagine it's, it. It's, yeah, the motivation's got to outweigh the fear that you feel. That's why when, when I deal with corporate audiences or people or I'm doing coaching sessions, it's like the first thing is like, what do you want? from this life like what do you want from this one life that you have on planet earth like tell me what do you how, what does your career look like yeah. what, what do your finances look like 10 years from now what do you want your family structure to look like what do you want your relationships to be like what do you want your health to be like and and paint a picture of what they want but then also what they want to avoid like i yeah. want to avoid having to go back to work and do a job that i didn't want to do i wanted yeah. to you know like look after my mom so i had these motivators both sides and then it's kind of like the first thing you do is got to clarify that. Otherwise, you'll never have the motivation to push 
to where your potential might be. Like you, a lot of people, like I, I never would have dreamt that I could have had the career I had when I was a terrified little boy, scared of the ocean. And most people around me never would have believed I would have done it either. But it's like you don't know until you've taken that step what you're actually capable of. You know, like it, yeah. there's probably a whole lot more in there. Amazing. That um, that you don't know about, and that the situation forces it out of you. I think, but you got to find out. <laughs> Take a while to figure out what you want. And Mark, just explain for the for the listeners. I know Trent and I would love to know this too. Like, what is it like at the top of that wave? Like at the, a big wave like that. What are the feelings and what are the sensations and sort of what's happening in your mind? What does it look like? The- the first, like, really, like, there's multiple nerve-wracking moments in the lead-up to surfing a big wave. The, the the one that sticks out a lot is when you're, you've already paddled out into the lineup and you're waiting in position to catch this huge mount of, mountain of water when it's coming. But the thing is, the only way you can get on that wave to catch it is you've got to be in, in a position like this really narrow window of where it looks like that wave's going to break on you, but it just doesn't break on you, but you're in the perfect spot to catch it. So there's this moment as these like, it's like the horizon that you're looking out on goes black. You just see mountains of water coming and every ounce of your being wants you to paddle as fast as you can out so that these waves don't break on you. But if you paddle too far out, you're never going to catch one of these waves. So there's this moment where you just like, you got to like hold hold the line. Like you got to hold the position as the mountains are coming and just trust that you're in Jesus. the spot. That is crazy. That's the most nerve-wracking moment. All I'm hearing is you saying, "All I'm hearing is you saying, Bram, you could be a big wave surfer, just paddle out there and never get into that window." (laughs) (laughs) Wave. What do you reckon, Trent? We'd just be the guys that never ever get. Actually, I think that is it because you get towed out in some cases, don't you? Yeah, sort of when the waves get beyond forty to fifty feet, and it's it's in that realm. Depending on how the waves break, they're just moving too fast to actually catch paddling and then you use the jet skis but um quite rarely now like the the safety equipment that's been developed the inflatable life jackets that we have they're making the paddle component of of big wave surfing like you can test the limits a whole lot more now because of that extra safety so uh guys are now you you can paddle into sort of 40 to 50 foot waves which is um you couldn't do that without the vests on how how would you describe the power behind it Oh man, it's like, like I said, that moment that you hit the water after a fall, it feels like concrete. And then it's like, you, it's, it's almost like time freezes because you know you've fallen and everything slows down and then you feel the wave sort of slowly suck you up high and then it feels like you drop off a waterfall, like an underwater waterfall. It's like there's no gravity because it's just rolled you up and then you're coming down with the lip. And then that next impact's like, like a hundred foot washing machine. It's just like smashes you and there's this roar, just go, ah, just rattles you. And then it will roll you around like a, in this moment when you're down there, it's like, cause in my head, you, the whole thing of surviving big wipeouts is just not panicking. Cause the panic is what makes you lose your oxygen quick. So you, the really main part of it is, is don't panic. You can be the fittest person in the world, hold your breath forever. But as soon as you panic, you're done. So you're trying to figure out ways to stay calm and relaxed underwater. So I try and envision that next sort of um, 
ride in that washing machine like like I'm on a roller coaster ride at a at a theme park and it's like I can just enjoy this crazy ride where I'm getting thrown around underwater. And um yeah it's if you if you cannot panic, it's actually weirdly fun under there. Like the way it's it's it throws you around and then it will dissipate, let you go, and then you gotta get to the surface. And uh that's where the life jackets come in handy because you if you are really deep you can inflate your life jacket and that'll bring you up without you having to use any more energy if you don't have that on then it's a tough scary swim to the surface because as you're swimming to the surface you're wondering in the back of your head if that next wave behind the one that you just wiped out on is about to break right where you're coming up so the whole time you're like oh my god we're waiting for this next wave to hold you back down underwater again so that part's a bit nerve-wracking too yeah, Mark, it's, it sounds like uh, from what you've said so far that you spend the entire time underwater and fighting to get back up, but that's obviously, uh, and whilst I'm, I'm, sure that ha- I'm sure that that happens a lot, but um, I'm sure that, you know, that's not the reason why you do this. So you've told us what it's like when you're falling, when you're underwater. Like, what's it like when you're actually, you know, for those, those people that don't surf and haven't ever surfed what what is it like when you're actually on the board and you know you're nailing it oh man there's a there's a moment so every surfer is trying to get barreled what we call barreled so you get yourself positioned inside the barreling part of the wave which is like the full force of the ocean is just surrounding you like this big water cave and and there's a moment when you do everything right where you position inside that big water cave and, and you know that you're going to come out. Like there's this moment where you can, you've done everything right, you're perfectly positioned, you can feel that you're going to come out and you get to just like take in the next three or four seconds and it's just the wildest experience. I, I heard that late Andy Irons, one of the best surfers that's ever lived on the planet, he described that moment as it's like you're being touched by God. And I, I think that was wow. the best description I've ever heard. Because once that yeah. happens to you and it happens to any surfer, you are hooked for life. Your, your there... whole existence from that point on is trying to recreate that moment. So you're just chasing waves around the world, trying to find that barreling wave again. So chasing even that every dragon. surfer is just hunting that moment down. There is a spirituality to surfing. There is some spirituality to it. Yeah, there's just it's just that connection with nature. I think it is. I think like if on a spiritual level, it's that that really deep connection to nature. Like you're in one way, you're you're trying to manage the forces of nature and the force in the ocean. Mm. You're you know, in some sense competing with it in a way that it's like in, in, sometimes it feels like it's just trying to kill you, but then it's also trying to give you the greatest ride of your life. So yeah, it's uh, I- it's it's pretty amazing. And then there's all that. There's pretty decent science um, yeah. around earthing, right? Have you heard that the, the yeah. term of earthing? So it's like when a human body touches the earth, it's like the negative ions within the earth's field actually changes your physiology for the better. And they can, they can measure the changes that happen. Yeah. And then supposedly the ocean has the greatest source of those negative ions that alter your physiology. So I think yeah. in, in that notion, I think being in around the ocean, even looking at the ocean is kind of like that it does something to you that feels beneficial you know yeah for sure and i think yeah 
sailors, um, you know, career sailors will say the same thing and surf lifesavers. And I, I did surf lifesaving for six or seven years and, and there's, there is something to that, being even just being out on a board or, or whatever it is that takes your fancy, being in a boat, being yeah. on a ship. You know, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's it. really hard to explain the actual thing, but um, yeah, yeah, like the when they sh- they show the the hormonal changes, like all these different changes within your system, and that's what's giving you the feeling. You know. Mm. Yeah, my mate, he's been on this podcast before. He's a good friend of mine, uh, the actor Dan McPherson, and he's massively drawn to the ocean. He's an ex triathlete. He's a bloody great swimmer in his own right. And I went up and stayed at his place. Um, up on the central coast and he's like hey you know come out for a morning swim we walked out there and it was bigger than anything I've ever swam in in the military and I was just like yeah yeah no worries mate it'll be all good you know and it's like, we, we, as, we, as we started swimming out into these, these you know decent sized waves he's just off and out into it and yeah I had the, I had the best time and it was nothing like the, the little waves that we used to go out in the storms in Cronulla like these things were legitimately pretty big you know but it, and he says too that it's a grounding thing. If he doesn't get to it daily, then he doesn't he doesn't feel like himself. Yeah, that's definitely um, it. And and there's and, no yeah. kind of closer connection than swimming and body surfing in there. Like no board, no nothing. It's just you and the water. Yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Just to change pace a little bit so i guess i'm i'm leading you here what's been the biggest setback in your career <laughs> oh yeah the, the the latest wipeout that i had which yeah the doctors said i would never surf again after well wow. i got um surfing a wave down the south coast of new south wales not a particularly big wave but it's the type of wave that we call it's a slab wave and that's because it basically comes out of really deep water and then uh, it breaks on a really shallow slab of reef. That's kind of why we call it a slab wave. And this magnifies the size and the power of the barreling part of the wave. And that's why you want to surf it, you know. Um, it also creates great content, great photos. It's spectacular looking. So on the career front, they're good to surf these type of waves. But they are dangerous. I was just at a point in my career where I was a bit overconfident. I didn't, you know, I, I had thousands of wipeouts on bigger waves. I, I, I wasn't, didn't give the wave the respect that it deserved. Um, didn't do the due diligence that you should do when you surf a new wave. Like I didn't study the footage. I didn't ask the local surfers how best to approach the wave. I just went straight out there blind and made a mistake, took the wrong wave. And um, it basically just picked me up and smashed me into the reef. And I landed on my feet on the reef, but one of my legs kind of got stuck in a hole in the reef. And then uh, my knee completely dislocated. And I tore every ligament and tendon that holds your knee joint together. And then when my knee was apart underwater and I was getting rolled around, it tore through the, the major artery that supplies blood to your foot and then also the major nerves that control your foot. So all of that was destroyed. And I was kind of in and out of consciousness after it happened because the pain was so bad. I was kind of fainting and then coming back, like once they'd got me to the beach. 
And uh, I woke up the next day in Canberra Hospital and I remember just being in blinding pain and looking down and just seeing the mess that my leg was in. Ugh. And then the surgeon came into the room. Who, he performed emergency surgery on my leg the night before. He came in and gave me that kind of good news, bad news spiel. And um, he's like, the good news is, Mark, we managed to save your leg. Oh. So supposedly if I, if I had have arrived one hour later, yeah. they would have had to amputate my leg at the knee because of the internal bleeding was so bad. I was so lucky that the first ambulance officer that arrived on the beach, he called the medivac helicopter to get me to hospital. Even though there was mm. no external blood and it didn't seem like the situation was that bad, he made that call, so that saved my leg. So I was over the moon when I got that that news mm. from the doctor. But I, I said to him, I was like, I, I got crazy pain from my knee down, just burning pins and needles, and yeah. I can't actually feel or move my foot at all. And... Um, and he just said, that's the bad news. He said, you've destroyed all the nerves that run through your knee joint that control your foot. And he said, we could see from the surgery when we were doing it that they're so damaged that there was nothing we could do to fix them and they're not going to heal. So he was telling me that I couldn't use my foot ever again, mm. and um, which meant in his eyes, it's like you're never going to surf again. So at wow. that point, it was like career was done. That was yeah. 2016. It was, it was over. So... um that was a tough ride. The next 18 months of, of rehab through there, I probably went down into the darkest sort of depressed places that I've been in. I was yeah. just, um, I was really fortunate when I, I was stuck in hospital after about six weeks waiting for the, all the surgery wounds in my leg to heal. I, uh, I ran into this young kid. He actually messaged me on Instagram and I got this direct message. He said he read about what had happened to me on a uh, surf media website and uh, he said, oh, I've been following your career ever since I was a little boy. I noticed that you're in Canberra Hospital. He's like, would you mind if I, if I came up and, and saw you and got a photo with you? And, um, man, I, I'd be isolated myself even from my close friends and family. I didn't want to see anyone. So I didn't yeah. even reply to the kid. It was, just, it was my wife, though, that saw the message on my phone, and she's like, fuck, he, he needs some company, you know, and wrote back to the kid and was like, yeah, no worries, Jason why don't you come up this afternoon? We'll get a photo and hang out for the afternoon. It'd be awesome. Anyway, um, I was just laying there, this one other, and this kid gets wheeled into my hospital bedroom by his brother. Yeah. He's complete quadriplegic. Oh. Broke his neck. Oh. Broke his neck a month before I'd hurt myself and was in the same hospital. He was on the first trip of an around-the-world holiday after finishing school. And, man, he, he gets wheeled up to me big grin on his face and like tries his best to put his arm out that he can barely control, shake my hand. And man, in the moment that I shook that mm -hmm. kid's hand, it wow. was like everything just changed for me. Did a complete 180. Like I'd been laying wow. there for the last six weeks, just so full of self-pity, anger, frustration, just like couldn't believe my career was over and just blaming everyone else for what had happened. And, and mm. then in the blink of an eye, I felt like the luckiest person on earth. It was like, uh, if I hit the reef any other way, I could be dealing with what this kid's dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, it's not even comparable. <laughs> it's a million times worse. And here's him dealing with it with, like, so much, like, courage, you know. And it was kind of a, it was a kick up the backside, you know, like to stop feeling sorry for yourself and, and just, you know, you're lucky. You know how much worse it could be? And that changed everything. Like to me, 
even even my my the surgery wounds in my leg were so badly infected that the surgeons were like getting concerned because the infection was spreading up my leg and the antibiotics weren't working within 10 days of seeing that kid all of the infections were gone like that's awesome that, and the only difference was my headspace i was laying in the hospital yeah. now i was happy about where i was i was happy about the injury i had i just felt lucky and that yeah. just fully changed the way my body healed yeah. um and then so in my head like after realizing that i kind of over the next 18 months is i did all the rehab stuff that i needed to do the physiotherapy and stuff but i just tried to have that feeling of feeling lucky well, it's like gratitude, you know, like feeling grateful for the position I was in, even though it sucked. I just tried to feel that as many times as I could through a day. And it That's made crazy. such a difference for me. Yeah. It made such a difference for how much energy that I had to do physio. It made such a difference to the way I slept. It made it made such a difference to the way I interacted with family and friends. And it just, I, I to me, that was probably the most beneficial thing that as as far as being able to get back to surfing a year and a half later i was able to only surfing at about 30 percent of of what i could before i was standing in a barreling wave again and wow. and for me that was like the best comeback ever it was good enough i never thought i'd get any better because i've got permanent nerve damage yeah right yeah my foot doesn't work still but it's been like three three and a half years now and and i've probably gotten back to about I'd say like 60% capacity of what I could surf before, yeah. 60, 70, and, and I can surf big waves again. So you're wow. 80% better than what Trent and I are, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> 95. I, I went 95. and went, I was a full-on beginner again. And yeah. Like, oh, now it's kind of like I can see how frustrating it is to be a beginner, but then it's also really exciting because you're like, you're going from level one again and everything's kind of, every new thing you learn is exciting again. So what, what did What did that... Sorry, Trent, you had a question. Yeah, I was going to say, have you caught up with Jason again? Yeah, yeah, we're good yeah. friends. Yeah. He, oh, really? He lives just next door to me. He moved up to the Gold Coast. We've surfed a bunch of times together. I got to take him out. Like, this is how courageous this kid is. He goes wow. He's a quadriplegic. Oh. We surf out at Snapper Ross, a pretty long wave. And I, I try and ride the wave with him, and his, his brother and his mates push him on the wave. But any wave that he falls on, right, if he falls and he's face down, in the water he has no way to turn himself over to breathe like he's got to lay there face down in the water not being able to move while waves are hitting him just waiting for one of us to get to him to turn him over like that it's like talk about he has it's like what i would feel surfing a hundred foot waves like it's, yeah. it's crazy how brave oh my. that is as brave a story as i've ever heard yeah so yeah i hang out with him a lot he's a he's, shout out he, to he, jason he surf a little bit it's just it takes a, a big toll on him to go out and surf just because it's he's not you know like he's only just getting the movement enough strength in his shoulders to be able to do it but uh he's awesome to be around there most motivating so, person I've, I've come across so based on based on your rehab meeting jason the injury well oh, just your whole yeah. life really you know what what would you say would be your definition of resilience Given, given that? Ah, oh, man, I think resilience is just an, an ability to deal with life's difficulties. Like everyone's life's difficult. And if it's not difficult now, it's going to be difficult at some point. Or you don't have to look far to there'll be someone in your life that's dealing with something so difficult, you know. And it's an ability to like to deal with that situation 
and and bounce back from it and just keep living your life and getting the most out of life like that i think that's the simplest version of what resilience is um you can unpack so many different factors that go in to what makes people resilient and how you can create more resilience in your life um i think there's there's foundational things there's kind of like the way i see it there's certain foundational things that provide resilience in your life and then there's all these kind of like add-on sort of smaller techniques that are beneficial sort of like cognitive mental hacks that are that are good to learn but there's foundational things and i think that those those foundational things are, are direction like know what you want from life know what you want to avoid like get some direction what bolsters that is how meaningful that direction is for you like how how much meaning are there in those things that you want to attain or avoid when that's clear in your mind you're straight away exponentially more resilient to the difficulties you're going to face and and you can go into all kinds of neuroscience that prove that like it's like the the best way i heard it put like a really simple way i heard it put is uh, a psychologist put it this way it's really good it's like if fear and difficulty is forced upon you right your your nervous system reacts in in the way a prey animal would react so it's like you're being hunted so you you don't deal with stress well in that state right but if you decide to take on something scary then your nervous system takes on the the, the functionality of a hunter it's like you're hunting a moment down you know and you're exponentially more resilient if you decide to take on the fear well the the only way you can decide to take on something stressful is you know what you want you know like you know why you're doing it and you push yourself to do it so just based on that you can see why why that direction and meaning are so valuable i think the other va- foundational one is support like the people that you have around you are, are kind of can make or break your ability to deal with difficult things um make or break your ability to access potential uh and where you're going to go in life across different realms of your life and then when you add on top of all those different things there's kind of diet exercise sleep like there's all the physical components that make you resilient and then there's all the smaller like mental hacks like the ability to access sort of mindful states be in the present moment where you need to yeah all the rest and retreat moments like there's just there's a whole package in there but the foundational ones of knowing what you want i think I feel like you've just you've just yeah. given a pretty good overview of seven seasons of the Warrior <laughs> podcast right there. Um, I've noticed yeah. like every well written good book on the topics of resilience, stress, fear, anxiety, whatever, they say the same thing, and because yep. yeah. you can't escape those fundamental things. You know, I can't push hard enough to people the importance of positivity when it comes and a positive bias when it comes to resilience. Mm. Yeah, which is difficult for a lot of people, especially like myself. I'm hyper neurotic, so that's one of my personality traits. I'm introverted and neurotic, and and I have like most people have a bias to the negative, right? Because it's survival. It's like you got to think of all the things that could go wrong, so that you avoid them or you prepare for them and you don't die. You know, like that's that 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 negative bias, but that wears you down, man. Especially if those negative biases are not necessary, you know, which most of them in our, in our days you know like in the age that we live in like we kind of carried that sort of ancient software programming into this modern era and you're running this old old software program in this much safer world and and it's like exponential stress that you don't need so like you said like 
being able to like get that more positive like uh, bias twist on it and, and understanding that you can upgrade that software and see the world with a different perspective. Yeah, I think that's so beneficial too. Yeah, a lot of what you're saying sort of gels with, you know, what we've spoken about before. And, and we had a chat with Mumta Saha recently, who essentially said that anxiety, and this is this is a little bit around what you're talking about, is really uh, rooted in the past and the future. It's not necessarily in the present. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we tend to worry about things that have happened previously or potentially in the future, but not what's going on right now. That's, so, yeah, yeah, it's interesting to hear what you've said. Definitely. I think, yeah, because I was playing around with different definitions across those work, you know, like across the terms of fear, stress, anxiety. And it seems like more, if it is in the present, that anxious state, it's most likely more fear, like something scary is happening to you now. That's probably better defined as fear. And everything else is like a forecast of what might happen. And then when that's kind of that anxiety loop, they're beneficial to a degree. It's kind of like when you you would know this everything on a performance like to do with performance or like reaching your potential it's everything has to be put on like a what's it like an inverted u curve or a hormetic curve like the hormetic when they use it in hormesis like what what's the toxic dose what's the perfect dose you know and it's kind of the same with fear the same with stress the same with anxiety you need that little bit of anxiety about what might happen if you don't push yourself you know like so it's kind of finding that perfect dose of those different things that that's motivating enough for you to take the right actions, you know, but not do paralyzing, you, you know. Do you think that, do you feel that in this day and age, people aren't scared enough? They're not going through things these days that give them enough fear and they're not facing fears and they want everything straight away, this, this whole ideal around um, instant gratification? I don't know if I'd put it that they're not, it's like they're scared. Like the majority of people have fear, have over, like have a lot of anxiety. But but it's like you you just. It's like the the goal's wrong. The goal's to be comfort. You know, like that seems yeah. to be a a goal that a lot of people have is just to be com- like to be comfortable to eradicate difficulty from your life. But it's like when you do that and you're trying to avoid difficulty in every aspect of your life it's like it just creeps up on you, you know, and eventually you become so stagnant that the things that you fear or you've been avoided, they're, they're like the snakes coming into the garden. Eventually they find you, you know. So it's kind of like, it's like the goal needs to be to be flipped more, like rather than just trying to avoid things to stay comfortable. It's more like, you know, what, what are you passionate about? And, and what, what, what are those things that you'll go out there and take on those difficult moments, you know? Not to say yeah. that, I, you know, I don't love, com- I love comfort too, just in some aspects of my life, you know, at some moments. What's it like being a Red Bull athlete? Is it really cool? It was amazing when I first signed, like for me, first signing with Red Bull is like the pinnacle of my sport, you know, where you don't really, like originally we didn't have world champions or anything in big wave surfing in that action sports realm. And to be a Red Bull athlete felt like, you know, you were one of the best in the world. So, yeah. It, it is awesome when I first signed. It's still really good. They're such a great company as far as the way that they look after their athletes and their staff and their, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing culture. It's just like the owner just loves seeing the boundaries of performance in all these different sports pushed and he likes to be a part of that, which is a pretty cool culture and, and team to be a part of. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. And now you're you do keynote speak and you assist businesses with their understandings of of resilience and and getting through adversity. Um, perhaps you'd like to share some of some of those experiences that you've had. Yeah, I've been doing that on the side of surfing for about ten years, um, and then more recently, since I had the bad injury, more full time for the last sort of three years. And initially, I hated it. Like being introverted, public speaking for me is just like it's as stressful as, as anything. You know, it's another big way. I get more. I was getting more run down from the stress of public speaking and doing presentations than I was of when I had to go and surf huge waves. Like it was relaxing for me if I didn't have to do a public speaking job and I was going to surf 50 foot waves. Like that was my relaxing week. But um, it's the same as overcoming the fear of big waves. It's like it's the skill set, the knowledge, the, the experience of doing it over and over and over again that has gotten me to a place now where I'm more comfortable doing it and now I actually enjoy it. Like there's, it's one of the best things that I do in my life in my life or in my career where I get feedback from someone when they say, I heard you talk and I just like, it inspired me to just do this one thing within their career or within their life or, you know, to do with their health. And they say it made a huge difference. And, and then it's not like they're doing all the work, but right? I'm just creating a tiny little moment and whether the audience grabs onto it, does something. But when I get that feedback, man, it's, it makes all the, the stress and the anxiety of speaking work. Yeah, so good. Yeah. And I would imagine that it uh, makes what you've gone through as well feel feel a little, if I can put it this way, a little more worth it if you're actually able to then use that experience to change people's lives. And and there's an, I guess there's an aspect of that in leadership as well. You leave these little breadcrumbs throughout your career, and they can be good or bad for you know people, or, you know, positive or negative. And for you to be able to leave those little that those little positive trail of breadcrumbs through people's lives it must be an amazing feeling oh man it's yeah it's it's way more rewarding than surfing like surfing wow. was amazing and at that young age where you just want to be the best at something and you want everyone to love you for doing something like that's high, highly motivating but like at the point i'm at in in my careers now it's like i love the feeling of surfing big waves I don't love the business side of it. I don't love the, any fame that comes with it. Uh, and then I love the, the feedback that I get from helping people in my, in my speaking work. Like they're, you know, like I surf for now less to do with the business aspect, more to do with the love of the feeling. And, and I get to speak to people and, and help them in their lives. And if I get that feedback, man, it's so rewarding. This has been such a treat really mark to talk to someone that's had your experiences and for the listeners uh you didn't see trent and i both like when you were telling us about those injuries both grimacing we've both seen our fair share of uh of injuries you know i think the other thing is i was actually wondering how i was going to tiptoe around asking you about that and to be so open and and frank about something that we can only imagine must have been you know such a, a painful and harrowing experience and protracted yeah, so thanks for being so open about that as well. Where can our listeners find out more about you and perhaps, you know, we get a lot of downloads, a lot of people in business as well who might want to get you to come and do some speaking. Where can they find more out about you? Uh, my website is markmatthews.com. If you have any inquiries about needing a keynote speaker, a corporate training program, yeah, just email me there or on LinkedIn. It's fine. I chat to a lot of my corporate clients through LinkedIn or if you've got any questions on any topics, just find me on LinkedIn. Anything to do with surfing, um, I'm a bit lazy with it, but uh, 
I post on my on my Instagram too. So that's at Mark Matthews Surf. So. And then uh, if you want to watch the story, there's a, a doc, Rebel just completed a documentary about the story of um, what we've been talking about. It's called The Other Side of Fear. You can watch it, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole range of uh, videos on YouTube I noticed as well about your your story and you can hear a fair bit more about some of the things you've spoken to us about. So um, uh, for our listeners, you know, jump on jump on YouTube and just type in Mark Matthews. You'll come up with, with a fair few of them. Were you using the face swap app again, were you, Trent, and putting yeah, yourself putting in big waves? Yeah, putting myself in big waves. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we'll stick to classic cars, I think. Yeah, that's it. That's All my right. thing. Mark Matthews, thanks very much for being guest on the, the Warrior You podcast. No worries. Thanks for uh, having me. and I appreciate the work you do. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's been great. Thanks. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just a physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.